everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. Celebrating pro and college football history. This episode, Cleveland Browns legend Pete Brewster. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of the book, The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, published by the University of Nebraska Press, and that's available on Amazon.com. And this podcast is really an extension of that book, an oral history of football, preserving the history of the game, mainly through stories from the players The book featured interviews with people like Bart Starr and Frank Gifford. And in this episode, we'll hear stories from Daryl Pete Brewster, who played on those great Cleveland Browns teams in the 1950s. Pete Brewster passed away in January of 2020. And thankfully, I was able to interview him in the summer of 2019. And so... Very grateful that he shared his stories with the game before the money. Pete Brewster was born in 1930, and as I alluded to before, he played for the great Paul Brown in the 1950s. He won two championships with the Cleveland Browns and led the NFL in yards per catch in 1957. And three times he finished in the top 10 in receiving yards. He ended his NFL career with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1960. Afterwards, Pete Brewster got into coaching. He won a Super Bowl ring as an assistant coach to Hank Stram on that great Kansas City Chiefs team that won Super Bowl IV. Pete grew up in Indiana, mostly in Portland, Indiana, located about 90 miles northeast of Indianapolis. According to the city's website, Portland, Indiana, hosts the world's largest antique tractor and engine show. Pete Brewster's father passed away when he was 12. Pete credited his mother for raising him well and making sure that he went to church on Sundays. His older siblings also helped carry the load. Like many Indiana high schoolers, Brewster loved playing basketball. He played hoops all four years in high school and only played one year of football. Indiana, Purdue, and nearby Ball State all offered him basketball scholarships. He chose Purdue, and he told me there was a story behind his choice. I almost uh, went to IU, but there was uh, two fellows that were two years older than I was, and we made a commitment to go to college together. Well, the two boys that was older went in the Navy when they graduated from high school, and when they got out, why we all decided we were going to go to Purdue. Tragically, one of Pete's friends lost his life in a car accident before the boys headed to attend college. Pete and his other friend continued their pledge to attend Purdue. 
Pete's friend took engineering at Purdue and went on to work on the lunar rover for an Apollo moon mission. Purdue's football team invited Brewster to try out, and Brewster told me he couldn't be sure, but he had a hunch as to why he was offered a tryout despite only playing one year of high school football. When I got to college, I was invited out to play football. Why, I don't know for sure. I think it was because they had more scholarships in football than they did basketball. So they wanted to get me in football so I could be on a football scholarship. Pete told me that he progressed in football more than basketball while at Purdue. And the NFL Chicago Cardinals took note and drafted him in the second round of the 1952 NFL Draft. And that 1952 NFL Draft was special in that five of the first 14 picks made the Hall of Fame, including Frank Gifford and Yale Larry, both of whom you can learn more about in the book, The Game Before the Money. Brewster never played for the Cardinals, however. The Cardinals' new coach, Joe Kaharik, previously coached at the University of San Francisco, and Kaharik wanted one of his linebackers from college for the Cardinals. Pete Brewster explained to me the deal that sent him to the Cleveland Browns. Well, Joe Kaharik became the coach of the Chicago Cardinals. He coached a linebacker in college. His name was Burl Toller. He was drafted by Cleveland, and I was drafted by the Chicago Cardinals. And Harry wanted Burl Toller. Well, Paul Brown elected to have a offensive receiver. So Joe Harry offered me, and Paul Brown accepted, and that's how I got to Cleveland. Some of you football history majors out there might have perked up at the name Burl Toller who served for a long time as an NFL official from the mid-1960s until 1990. He served as the head linesman in the Freezer Bowl game, the 1981 AFC Championship game between the Bengals and Chargers that was played in sub-zero conditions. Both Toller and Brewster made the roster for the college all-star game, and you regular listeners know that was a game that featured a team of college all-stars against the previous year's NFL champions. Toller, Brewster, and company faced the Los Angeles Rams, who won the 1951 league championship over Brewster's new team, the Cleveland Browns. Toller suffered a knee injury in the game and never played another down of football, and that started his journey in officiating. Pete Brewster, meanwhile, embarked on his NFL playing career. He joined a Cleveland Browns team with enough all-time greats that would take a long-winded sentence to list them. Quarterback Otto Graham, Dante Lavelli, Miriam Motley, Max Speedy, Lou Groza, Len Ford, Dub Jones, who we had on the Game Before the Money podcast recently. And we're just getting started in naming the great players from that team. There's a reason why the Browns played in an incredible six straight NFL championship games. Actually, there are many reasons, and not the least of which being the legendary Paul Brown, 
who today still stands as one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. Brewster shared with me what it was like as a rookie coming onto that legendary Browns team. They were class individuals. Paul Brown wouldn't have it any other way. They just took me in, just like I'd been there for two or three years, but they were all uh, very helpful. I roomated with Warney Lahr, was a defensive secondary, and uh, became very close to Dante Lavelli. Max Speedy, I played one year when he was there, the other receiver opposite Dante Lavelli. Brewster caught only four passes his rookie year, but one went for 47 yards and a touchdown. The Browns fell to the Lions in the 1952 NFL Championship game 17-7. Pete, however, led the Browns with 53 yards receiving in that championship game. Brewster got a greater opportunity to play in his second season, an opportunity that a teammate told him was coming. The second year, Max Speedy went to Canada and played in the Canadian League for some more more money than he was getting here. So he called me and he says, Pete, I'm jumping the league and I'm going up to Canada and you have a chance here to make a little more money and ask for a bigger raise, which wasn't very much, but it was some. Brewster landed a bigger spot in 1953, his second year with the Browns, He landed over 600 yards receiving and averaged nearly 20 yards per catch, finishing third in the league that season. He also scorched the New York Giants one Sunday for 182 yards and three touchdowns. Brewster told me about his strengths and the depth of the Browns' excellent receiving core. I felt like I I had real good hands and and pretty good speed. It's real enjoyable. We had so many great receivers, like Dante and Ray Renfro, Dub Jones, myself. So uh, it, we have spread around numbers were quite few. We'll put that Browns receiving talent in perspective. Dante Lavelli is in the Hall of Fame. His nickname was Glue Fingers. Dub Jones was an all-purpose player who scored six touchdowns in one game. He's also the father of legendary Colts quarterback Burt Jones. And you can learn more about Dub Jones, as I mentioned before, in the Dub Jones episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. A great listen with many wonderful stories. That Browns team also featured Ray Renfro, who averaged over 20 yards per catch in five seasons. And he also is the father of another NFL player, Houston Oilers legend, Mike Renfro. All of those players, including Pete, made Pro Bowl rosters during their career. That's how deep the Browns' receiving core was in the 1950s. And in addition to all of that amazing receiving talent, you had legendary quarterback Otto Graham there to make things go. Uh, you got to brag about Otto Graham. He was a great person. And he uh, made a compliment to me one year, and he said he thought that I was the most underrated receiver of the league. 
I take that as a great compliment, especially coming from Otto Graham. The Browns made the championship again in 1953, and Pete Brewster started at left end opposite Dante Lavelli in the Browns lineup. Future Steelers coach Chuck Knoll started at right guard for the Browns that year, and the Browns lost a heartbreaker, 17-16, to the Detroit Lions in the NFL championship game as Lions quarterback Bobby Lane conducted a touchdown drive in the game's final three minutes. 1953 also marked the year of the famous autogram face mask story. Many of you know at least some of the story where Otto Graham suffered a serious cut around his mouth during a game. Coach Paul Brown had him fitted with a clear plastic face mask for the second half. That wasn't the first face mask used in pro or college football. Players in the book, The Game Before the Money, talk about using them in college ball in the 1940s. But Otto Graham's face mask paints a point of historical reference for when face masks would find regular use in the NFL. In fact, Paul Brown even got a patent for the one he created. Pete spoke about his experience with early face masks and a conversation between Paul Brown and NFL Commissioner Burt Bell about establishing a penalty for grabbing the face mask. Well, we didn't have any. We eventually had two bars of, uh, I don't know what they were made of, but they were brittle as can be. Well, I remember I got clobbered one time, splintered it, and broke my nose. I remember Paul Brown telling Burt Bell as he came around every year in training camps, beginning of the year, and uh, Paul Brown told him, I said, if you don't do something about this grabbing the masks and penalizing them severely, I'm going to put little razor blades all around in those uh, plastic bars that went across there. That'll take care of that. But they they did. They started uh, calling them and making it a penalty. It's probably highly unlikely that Paul Brown would have followed up on his threat. According to NFL.com, the league first issued penalties for grabbing the face mask in 1956. Brewster and the Browns kept winning during the 1950s. As I mentioned before, the Cleveland Browns played in six straight NFL championship games. They even played in seven of the first eight NFL championship games of the 1950s. That was after they won all four AAFC championship games before the two leagues had a partial merger. So, between the AAFC and the NFL, Cleveland made the championship game 10 straight times. That's a complete decade of consecutive championship game appearances. Pete Brewster won back-to-back championships with the Browns in 1954 and 1955 and caught a touchdown pass in that 1954 championship. He also made a key catch in the 1956 Pro Bowl that helped the East squad sneak out a one-point victory. In 1957, the Browns welcomed a rookie to their team, 
one with an appropriate last name for the Browns franchise. His name was Jim Brown. Yes, he was a very quiet man, dedicated, and did his job very well. If we needed a yard or two, why we would say, Jim, we got to have it. You got to get us a yard. And he would. The Browns made the NFL championship game again in 1957, but lost to the Detroit Lions. You can hear more about that Detroit Lions team in the Roger Zatkoff episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. The NFL schedule and roster structure was much different back then in the 1950s. Pete talked about that and credited Paul Brown for his success. Of course, we only, they only played about 12 games back in there. We had 33 players, and those two things I remember most. And we had to play offense, defense, and then on some of the special teams. But uh, we were in good shape. And I just owe a lot to Paul Brown and his staff. Pete played with the Browns through 1958. The Giants defeated the Browns in a divisional playoff in 1958. And New York then went on to play the Colts in that legendary 1958 NFL championship game, often called the greatest game ever played. Pete Brewster retired after the 1958 season, at least he thought he had retired. Steelers head coach Buddy Parker called Brewster out of retirement to join him for two seasons in Pittsburgh. Parker had previously won two NFL championships as head coach of the Lions, and the Steelers suffered injuries at receiver and knew Pete could help. Those Steeler teams featured aging veterans like Bobby Lane, Ernie Stautner, Jack Butler, and John Henry Johnson, all future Hall of Famers in their 30s. The 1959 Steelers also had a young quarterback on their roster from Pete's alma mater, Purdue. His name was Len Dawson. Pete Brewster played sparingly in his two seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the team's record hovered around the 500 mark. Pete approached coach Buddy Parker after the 1960 season to discuss his future. After the season, they always had a big party. They get together at the end of the season, and I went to uh, Buddy Parker, and I said, well, the two years are up, and uh, what do you think now? And he says, did you ever think about coaching? And I said, well, I've never closed the doors to it. I think I might like it. He said, I would hire you right now, but I don't have an opening. Buddy Parker said he would call Pete if he heard of any openings and made good on his word as he picked up the phone to call Pete Brewster just a couple of months later. He called me and said that Norm Van Brocklin was getting a head job of a new franchise in Minnesota called the Vikings. said, you give him a call and tell him I told you to call. And he recommended me to be a receiving coach. Brewster worked for Van Brocklin in Minnesota for three seasons. He and his wife found the winters a little too harsh to their liking, especially after they had grown accustomed to living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. After leaving Minnesota, however, 
another pro football head coach dialed his number. We were headed home, and uh, I got calls from Hank Stram. Hank Stram was the coach here with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I've known Hank for a lot of years from Purdue days when he was assistant coach at Purdue in uh, the years I went to school there. And that's another example of that well-established yet often overlooked Hank Stram-Purdue connection. Stram worked as an assistant at Purdue in the late 1940s and through the mid-1950s. That was during Pete's time at Purdue and also Len Dawson's. Pete told me that at first he didn't immediately take the assistant coaching job with Hank Stram in Kansas City. I said yes, and I said no, and he, he said, well, come down and visit. So I did. I went down and visited, and it was really nice. It was a first-class operation. Lamar Hunt, his wife, very, very nice people. And so I became the receiver coach at Kansas City. Pete worked as a receiver's coach for the Chiefs when they won Super Bowl four. He often wore his Super Bowl ring after he retired from coaching. Pete Brewster passed away in January of 2020 at the age of 89. He was inducted into the Indiana Football Hall of Fame, and the field at the middle school he attended in Portland, Indiana, is named in his honor. listening to this edition of the Game Before the Money podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. And please visit thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions of podcasts are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com. The Game Before the Money podcast comes out every Tuesday. And those transcriptions are powered by Sonics. S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more.